Nothing. Here's a choice. I want you to think about this as we resume Philippians 1. Um, here's a choice. If you had a choice right now to depart from life uh, and to be with Jesus in heaven or to stay, what would you choose? If, if you really had that choice put to you, what would you choose? I want you to think about that. I suppose it depends what kind of health is like, what's happening in our lives just now. But Paul faced that. Paul faces almost, as it were, it's not exactly a choice we'll see, but he's in a situation where he has to consider being with Jesus right now. What does he want? Does he want to be with Jesus now? Or does he want to stay? Let's look at it. So we're in Philippians 1. I think this is our fourth time. We've had a bit of a break. Been lost. This is session four. We're in chapter one still. Okay, I think we're going to have one more in chapter one before we move to chapter two. Gives people some time to get a little reading crew ready for chapter two. But here's our heading, our, our, our main heading, fruitful gospel labor. That's what's in focus here. And here's a subheading. Paul rejoices in anticipation of salvation because of the Philippians' prayers. It's what's going on here in just these few verses we're going to look at. So, verse 18, part B. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. It's an ongoing theme and we're going to pick up on it shortly. I'll continue to rejoice for I know that through your prayers, and I want you to just read this very carefully with me, through your prayers, because I'm going to ask a question, you see. I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ may be exalted, will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. A question coming up, okay? 19 and 20. I want you to put 19 and 20 next to each other in your mind's eye, there's a contradiction. Can anyone see it? It's a difficult one, but there's a contradiction between 19 and 20 in what Paul is saying. He's contradicting himself. Can anyone see it? Something he says in 19 is contradicting something he says in 20. Uh, look, I, I obviously have a lot more time to think through these things, and, but, but show some... Yeah, yes, you got it, Catherine. Because, yeah, so what's your point? <laughs> well, he's in prison, isn't he? Yes. So deliverance could be, you know, survival, it could be... Because what's he saying in 20? Because he's talking about deliverance, and what's he saying in 20? Well, whether he lives or dies. Yeah, and I think you got it, Catherine, there you go. A budding theologian, okay? You got the job. Uh, yeah, and that is the contradiction. In 19, he's expecting, assuming, certain he's going to be delivered. And then in 20, he's contemplating, considering death. Look, I mean, and, and when you look, you think, Paul, well, are you going to be delivered or are you going to die? He's hedging his bets almost, isn't he? And yet he's not. And you're right, Catherine, it's, it's how you read deliverance. And the issue is, it's lost in translation. Look, look. when I'm trying to listen to Aussies, 
It's just all lost in translation. Okay, mind you, apparently I'm getting an Aussie accent now. I mean, I mean, I don't think so. Oh no, well, so they say. Depends who you're talking to. Okay, look, something is lost in translation because, and it's all to do with this Greek word for deliverance. It's a word. I'll have the next page, please, in the key. That Greek word deliverance. Here's the here's the word structure. It's a Greek word soteria. Can you see that that word there? Here's a transliteration of it. It's where we get the term. I mean, I mean, Greg's done some theology. Some of you here may have done some theology as well. It's where we get the term soteriology. Okay, ology is from logic. Okay, or the science of. So, or the study of. So, it's the science of logic of soteria is the Greek word, and that word means salvation. So, the word that Paul uses there. And it's translated in every other place throughout the New Testament. That salvation is translated as deliverance in Philippians 1. Just because what you've got there, haven't you? You've got not just pure translation. You've got some interpretation happening alongside it. It's why, I mean, scholars far more superior in intelligence than me use Greek in translating the Bible and in commentaries. It's what I interact with. And... And so the word there does mean salvation. So you put that in there. And can you see what it does to it? Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my salvation. And now Paul isn't narrowly restricting the deliverance he's going to get to getting out of prison, is he? He's now thinking of the help that's going to come from Prayer, it could well be, could well be, death. Paul is going to get out of that cell, one way or another. That's what he's convinced of. Okay, as the prayers go on, as God hears, Paul is going to get out of that cell, one way or the other. He's either going to be executed, or he's going to walk out. Whichever way he's going to be saved. Because this is his salvation. And so that's where Paul's confidence lies. So let me just look at the perspective and the details with you. And I want you to know what's, I want you to notice what's going on here. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit, what has happened to me will turn out for my salvation. Okay, notice before he says that he's rejoicing. Here's a guy who's... Here's a guy who's had a lot of reasons not to be rejoicing. And yet he can write in chapter 1, he's rejoicing when he's in prison because the gospel is being preached. Hey, do you know, I hope it's not an issue for me, but hey, I'm just a guy. But, you know, pastors sometimes are very protective of their pulpits. Not always because they want to protect the sheep. Sometimes because... Yeah, they want to protect... There, little patch. Seriously, you know, you know, hey, may that never be my sin. Pray for me, please. Pray for me. I'm not sitting standing here saying, oh, I'm excluded from that. Hey, we're all vulnerable to every conceivable sin, aren't we? Paul rejoiced when somebody else was in his pulpit because the gospel advanced and that's the wonderful thing about it and I guess this just puts us in our, in our little place doesn't it hey Brenton 
I'll use you. This church will do perfectly fine and the gospel advance perfectly well without you. Okay? And without me. And look, and if aside from me and aside from Brenton and aside from Ricky, this church prospers, hallelujah! That's the point, point for rejoicing, isn't it? Hey, I, I can tell you honestly, and this is the grace of God in me, and I need lots of grace in God, my two previous churches are doing pretty well without Montas. Probably better. Okay? So are you saying we should get rid of you? Yes, I knew it. I knew it was coming. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, of course. But hallelujah! Because what matters is that Jesus' work progresses. And, and Paul's happy about that. He's super happy. Look, he rejoices. Christ is preached elsewhere. And now he is rejoicing. And here's why he's rejoicing. Verse 19. Because he's confident, he's confident of this, that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit, what has happened will turn out for my salvation. Paul goes, hey, I'm cool with this. Because God is at work here. And this is why God's at work. And I want to show you the importance of what we do in prayer. Notice this. Let me ask you, I've highlighted it on the text there. Why is Paul confident that God is going to work this out for him? I think it's the next verse, uh, Nikki, please. Why is this? And the next one. Sorry. Yeah, here we go. Why is this one? Why is Paul confident that this is going to work out okay for him? Jesus assures him. Absolutely. So Jesus is giving him assurance. And he's being helped. And, helped. and why is he being helped? Trusting in him. He's trusting in him. Why is he being helped? Prayers. Thank you, Pam. You, sorry, I interrupted you. You shout that out again, Pam. Amen. What does Paul have confidence in and covets? Prayers. I was speaking to a beautiful young-ish lady, okay, no, uh, recently, um, and she was telling me that you know, she doesn't need resources as much as she needs and covets. What do you want to say next? Pray. The prayers of God's people. Because she realized the importance of prayer. Paul realizes the absolute importance of the prayer of God's people. And here's, here's a reality. He says the help's going to come by God's Spirit. But here's, Motti, here's what the theologian Mottier writes. He goes, you've got, you've got to realize the link between this help and the prayers. Here's what he writes. The two thoughts of intercession and supply, the help of the Spirit, are bound so closely together by Paul that we could, without violence, without injury to the Greek, translate the Greek... Your prayers and the subsequent help of the Spirit. Can you see what Paul is saying? Paul is saying that the help that God will give him is coming through the prayers of God's people. He's saying that the help of the Holy Spirit that he relies on, that he needs, is so closely associated with God's people, he is dependent on their prayers. 
His confidence of deliverance, deliverance because of their prayers. Paul sews together and marries together prayer and God's work in his heart and in his life. I'll, I'll come back to that. Verse 20 shows us some of the detail of, of what Paul expects and what he wants. And it's something else I'm going to pick up shortly, that, that prayers are to be specific. Verse 20, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed. Remember, this is all related to the prayers and what he expects. That I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient, sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ may be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. This is what he wants from the prayers. So, look, I'll break it down for you. He wants his conscience to be clear. Paul is asking the church to pray with him that his conscience remains clear. Secondly, he, he wants them to pray, or he expects through their prayer, to have confidence and courage to give testimony to Jesus. And lastly, that Christ will be exalted. He wants the church and he expects the church's prayer to give him this, for Christ to be exalted in him, whether he lives or whether he dies. That's what Paul is, expect, is expecting through the prayers of God's people. Here's a guy who is in touch with his own weaknesses. Hey, look, some of us may be a Peter. I hope I'm not one of those. Who, you know, I'll never lay you down, Jesus. Not me. Sid will. And Graham will. That's for Lee, is a given. Okay? Okay. But not me, Jesus. Not me. What happened? Yeah, Paul is in touch with his humanity. He knows. Hey, given the right set of circumstances, I'm sure we're aware of this, aware of this, aren't we? That given the right set of circumstances, that any one of us in this room could have turned out to be a Hitler. We know that, don't we? That given the right set of circumstances, any one of us in this room could have committed the most hideous crimes and sins that we ever hear of. Paul knew that, and what he expects in prayer from God's people as the God's Spirit works is this is this conscience whereby he will be able to uphold the gospel. He he expects that he'll have confidence and courage. Hey. I'll tell you something. I may look. I mean, you may think Montes is one of these types. He just speaks to anybody. He doesn't care. He doesn't need prayer. You know, I get nervous when I speak to people. Seriously. I do. I mean, you, got, you walk standing on the street. Someone like Brenton walks by. You know, you can hear the thumps of, of the steps, you know, half a mile away as he's walking towards you. You know, and you're thinking, and in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, maybe I'll look for the guy behind him. Seriously, I do. When I see some people walking towards me, my mind's thinking, oh, nah. You know, I'll let him go by. You know, you know do you want to leave me, mate? Hey, we need to pray for one another for courage. Paul is asking for that, okay? He, he knows, however confident he may be, when he stands before 
authority, and if you've ever stood before authority, okay, real authority, okay, it, it can be humbling. Ever get pulled over by a cop? Okay? You know, it may be all bravado with your mates in the car, with your cans of beer, you know, you know but when you're pulled over by a cop, I'm not saying this by experience there, um, Catherine. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not recently. Okay? Um, hey, all that bravado goes when you stand before authority. You know, when you know the consequences may be coming your way. Paul knows when faced with, behead, with being beheaded, he may give up, and he wants that prayer. He expects those prayers to be answered. And lastly, what he prays for, what, he asks, what he's asking for prayer for. And then when you read Paul, you're thinking, what a brave man. Look, he wants Jesus to be exalted, whether in life or death. He's not what he's saying. He's not saying that that's my position. Do you get that? He's not saying, oh, I want Jesus exalted. You know, whether I die or live, he's not doing that. He's saying rather, that's what I want to be. I want to be that man. I'm not that man. But as you pray for me, God's Spirit will make me that man. Pray for me. Can you see that's what he's doing? He wants the church to pray for him because he knows he needs God's prayer and he is convinced God's Spirit comes to us in response to the prayers of God's people. Let me ask you, let me ask Montas, are we convinced? Do we really believe that God's Spirit comes to our aid as God's people pray. Do we believe that? Hey, do you know I had a Facebook message and I was going to read it to you because on my phone? <laughs> pray for me with you. <laughs> you know, as the, you know, yeah, the, the, the grey, the little bit, few grey hairs that I have are having a tremendous impact on this little brain of mine. Okay? But I'll tell from what I remember, here's a message I had this week from, from a dear member of our church. And he went something like this. I want to thank you and I want to thank the church for your prayers. Because it's working. Because I'm feeling God at work in my situation. They said that. A member of our church. Say thank you. Hey, those prayers that you pray, they're doing something. They're affecting God's people, members of our own congregation. Really? I mean, <laughs> do you know what I was saying? Be careful what you pray for. <laughs> we know you nearly lost that projector, didn't we? You know, <laughs> well, hallelujah. We can buy a new one of those. Okay? But I think my point was this. Hey, we, we pray for little kids, don't we? And hey, I'm not saying be careful what you pray for. Keep praying. God hears the prayers of his people. Paul knew that. It's what he says to the church in Corinth, in 2 Thessalonians. Sorry, 2 Corinthians. He says how he expects God to help him as, it's not on there, Nikki, as God's people pray for him. 
And so here's my point, and here's where we go with all this. Christian, pray. Pray. Pray together. Or a home group. I know we do. Pray together. Pray in your closet. Pray if you have to, like I have to, I have to get out and walk. I nod off in the closet. It's much harder to nod off if you're walking. Pray when you walk. Pray when you drive, but definitely don't close your eyes. Okay? Pray before the service. Okay, I was out today. I was just uh, in that time. Did that, did that happen today, Lorraine? Did I? Look, so for whatever reason, maybe COVID, we haven't been doing our pre-service prayer meeting. Next Sunday, 9.45, if you can be here, back there, by the portal where coffee and tea serve, prayer. I need it. We need it. Let's be passionate about prayer. Here's one more here, Royce. We have an obligation to put one another's spiritual growth in the very forefront of our prayers and to take responsibility very seriously. When we pray, and notice what Paul says in his prayer as he listed these three items for a clear conscience, for the, for the, for the bravery uh, to stand before the king and to be ready to die or to live. Pray specifically. Look, I know it's easy, and I do it. You heard me do it to, oh God, bless Jack, or bless Wendy, or, you know, have mercy on David. And they're all great, they're good to say, but they're really lacking precision. That sometimes means I haven't made the effort to find out exactly what that person needs, or, or try to remember. Here's something that we could do. Next time somebody wants you to pray for them, Get out your, I was going to say get out your notepad, but you know, that's the 80s, isn't it? Okay. <laughs> get out your tablet or your phone and put it in there. That Lee needs prayer for the grace to be able to, I don't know, share something out, Lee. If there's something specific you need this week, what would you say, mate? I know I'm putting you on the spot. For your Christian brothers and sisters. Yeah. It's really important. So it's important for Lee that he knows his brothers and sisters are well in the faith. Those prayer texts that I send you, try and take notice of that. Uh, let's be specific, targeted, if you like, in praying for each other. I mean, we pray, thank you, Bron, for praying for Lauren, for Ben's daughter who hasn't been well. Let's she get back on the feet. We pray for... Others this morning, Bron went through the list and Emma did the same so beautifully last week. Thank you, Emma. You know, specific details about people's lives. Let's get in the habit of doing that. Praying for one another, praying in faith, but targeted prayers that are specifically related. Therefore, keep sharing your prayer stuff with me and I'll keep sending them out. And look, I'm sorry if I keep bugging you with those text messages. You can always ban, you can block monitors, couldn't you? <laughs> well, I'll get them to you some other way. But uh, hey, take notice of those prayer points. And here's the thing to do. Don't do it later because we forget. The minute you get that text, can I encourage you? Just do it then. Just do it then. Right then, right now. Lord, that need, right now, that's my prayer. And here's the thing, you don't have to be a 25-minute sermon to God. An arrow prayer. Jesus, what did I put on a message last night? It was Helen, Morag, uh, I had Helen, Morag, Ricky, 
I had four names. I can only remember three. Okay, Helen Moore. Okay, the thing to do when you got that message last night, God give Helen the help she needs to serve you this week. That's all in these five words. Let's get into the habit of doing it. Let's pray for each other. Let's uphold one another. And here's the thing, it works. It really works. Really. God's Spirit moves in when God's people pray. And here's the thing, He doesn't need us to pray. God isn't dependent on us, but He likes us to pray. He wants to engage with us. And this is our fellowship. We're going to do our fellowship thing down at, up at the Barossa later, if you can make it. That's, I tell you, you know why I do that, don't you? Because that's church. It's worship. It's fellowship. So is prayer. When we bow the knee with someone, whether or not they're there or not, we're in fellowship. We're engaging, doing Christian work together. I'm going way too long. Please forgive me. Let me move on to my second point. The first one is this. Let's pray together. Let's pray together. Let's pray together. I want to say one more thing. I have parents talk to me about wanting their kids to be converted. You know, it's just talk. That's what I say. You know, look, sometimes you just get it straight. Okay? Okay. <laughs> really, you know, sometimes I have to just do that. And I'm going to say no. It's just talk. If you're serious about your kids getting converted, pray for them. Okay? Don't just tell me you want your kids converted. Okay? It's just talk. When was the last time we fasted and prayed for prolonged periods for our kids? When did you do that? Good, thank you. Thanks. So, sorry, you're going to say something? No, I'm just like, I, I'm doing it morning. Bless you, bless you. Parents, okay? Your grandkids, or your kids, or your nephews, or your nieces. Okay, don't just tell, yeah, don't just say you want them converted. Pray for them. And I, and I mean pray. Take time out. Commit yourself. And say this to God. God, I'm going to spend the next day. You're going to get fed up with me, God, because for the next 40 days, you're going to hear nothing but the prayers for my son. And I'm going to show you how much I care about this. I'm going to take regular intervals of fasting and giving myself to prolonged moments of prayer until you hear me, God. When you do that, then I'll know you're serious about your kids getting converted. And that we really believe God hears prayers. And can I say, don't just do that for your kids. Let's do that for Tania. Let's do that for Lorraine. I know we've been doing it for you, Nikki. When the messages go out that you need prayer, people pray for you. And here you are. Bless you. Second point. Paul, and I'm going to be really quick because I've used all my time up. Okay? Paul chooses an extension to his life for fruitful gospel labor. Probably one of the most famous verses in all of the Bible. For to me to live is Christ and to die 
is gay. Twelve English words, I counted them. Nine words in the Greek. And they sum up quintessentially the essence of Christianity. What is a Christian? You know, if, if you ask that question, this is the quintessential statement of faith. How do you know you met a believer? Because he can say that. Or she can say that. For to me to live is Jesus. It's Jesus when I wake. It's Jesus when I'm at work. It's Jesus when I drive. It's Jesus in my thoughts. It's Jesus. That's me, says Paul. Amen. And he goes, and to die? Well, I just get more, a whole lot more of Jesus. A whole lot more of Jesus. In every possible conceivable way, I get Jesus. Can you see? It's the ultimate statement of faith and it's the ultimate statement of a man who is hooked into God, who is, an, who is the definition of Christianity. It's a win-win. See, what do you do with a guy? I mean, you think about the Roman authorities. What do you do with a guy who says, well, I have Jesus in my cell, or I have Jesus outside? You choose. I get Jesus. Okay? I have Jesus if I breathe. I have Jesus if I stop breathing. Who cares? Do what you want. What can you do with a guy like that? I don't know if you've seen the film, it's really old. I'm giving away my age now. Uh, Stir Crazy? Uh, Gene Wilde? Wilder, yeah? Do you remember the film? He's banged away 125 years in some American cell. He hasn't done anything wrong, he just got confused with somebody else. Anyhow, they're trying to break him because they want him to do some stuff, illegal stuff, and he won't do it. So they put him through all these torture things. They put him in his hot cell for so many hours. He comes out of it and he says, oh, so soon? <laughs> you know, and then they put him somewhere else and they think that's going to break him. And he's out there and he's smiling. Then they put him with a hardened criminal, the, the worst of the worst. You know, like the type of Lee. You know, the worst of the worst. Okay? <laughs> yeah, you can see the two people I don't like in this church, can't you? Uh, okay, they put him with the worst of the worst in this cell, this hardened medical criminal, thinking that he'll break him. Okay? They open the cell a week later, and they're hugging and playing cards together. You can't break this guy, whatever you do. He overcomes it. You can't break Paul. You threaten to kill him? Okay, just give me Jesus, thank you. You threaten to torture him? Jesus gets closer to him. You can't do anything to a man who is so tuned in, plugged in to Jesus. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He continues, if I go on living, I've got to finish. So here's, look, let me sum up in three minutes if I can. If I, I know, I'm going to do my best, Graham. If I go on living in the body, this will be fruitful labor for me yet what shall i choose i do not know i am torn between the two i desire to depart and be with christ which is far better here where he is paul doesn't actually have the choice but he feels in his spirit that this may be what's coming ahead of him this imprisonment may lead to his execution he doesn't actually but he's getting ready for this he says he has christ now but it's not exactly like heaven. He says to the Corinthians, we see now dimly, 1 Corinthians uh, 12 or something, like that, we see, 13, uh, we see dimly. So we do have Jesus now, says Paul, but it's better when we get there. It's much better in heaven. And he goes, I'm torn. Uh, 
I, I, I actually, it's better to be in heaven. Let me tell you this, if you haven't worked this out, it's better to be in heaven. It's much better to be in heaven. Everything's better in heaven. And Paul says, it's better for me to be there. And I may be executed soon. And, and I, that's what I want. It's what I want. It's what I want to be. But, you need me here. The gospel work here isn't finished. This is a fledgling church. It hasn't quite taken root. Paul is its senior pastor. And as much as he wants to be with Jesus, he's saying, but hey, I know I'm needed here. You're, you're not finished with me. And however painful it is, I, I want to uh, finish what I've started in Philippi. And he says, at the end of the day, it's better if I remain. Here's what Hansen writes. Paul was willing to delay the crossing, crossing the finishing line in his own race in order to serve the needs of the believers in Philippi. He set aside his personal ambition so that he could do what was necessary for them. Paul puts himself, puts the gospel ahead of his own comforts. I'm going to tell you about a friend of mine, a friend of ours, who's no longer with us. His name is Afri. I have a picture there uh, of his family, Nikki. Afri's not on the picture. That's his wife, Pam, and uh, one of his sons. I think that's Judah. That's a missionary family there. He's got three more, uh, two more kids. And he's got four kids or three kids? Three. So there's two, more, there's two kids missing, and Afri's missing from that picture. I didn't have a picture. I couldn't find a picture. Afri's with the Lord. He's with Jesus in Jesus' presence. He's got his reward. But Afri, when he returned from missionary work in Africa, just went spiraling down in depression. He couldn't get into the Anglican ministry like he was trying to, and it wasn't working out for him, and this is a return missionary. And it just got him really down. He's the most fantastic evangelist you'd ever meet. He could talk to anybody about the gospel in seconds. He got really down and down and down, and he attempted several times to take his life until he eventually he succeeded. Afri pulled out. And I'm not judging him. He's a dear friend of ours. And let me tell you this. He's with Jesus. The absurdity of the things I hear as a minister, and this is me getting upset. Okay? Okay? If someone is so pushed to the limits of their lives that they take their lives, that doesn't condemn them for goodness sake. Do we understand the gospel? What does Romans 8 say? For there is now no condemnation. Let me tell you this, Christian. And don't ever say this. This winds me up big time. Your sin will not keep you out of heaven. Do we get that? Okay, otherwise you make a mockery of the cross. Okay, if there was anything that I could ever do, anything, okay, I'll make a mockery of the cross. That is now, for those who believe in Jesus, now no condemnation. And whether I, I commit suicide or I commit the worst of sins against somebody else, because if he was really down to Montez and how good I was, okay, I'd have no chance. Ever! After he's with his Lord. Are we happy for him? But he's left behind a young family. And gospel work 
That's the sad part of it. He was the most phenomenal evangelist I knew. What a loss to the kingdom. That's what Paul is saying. He was more effective in the world than with Jesus. And the last thing I want to say is this, that we see that in Paul. Let me ask you, where do we see it most brilliantly that example. Where do we see the most brilliant example of someone who chooses the gospel over their own comforts? Jesus is the answer, you're right. And look in Philippians 2. Let me read these words to you. Philippians 2. I think it's next. There it is. We're going to come to him in due time. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Jesus had everything in heaven. But he gave all that up to come into our world to minister to us. Christian, put the gospel first. Put the gospel first. The most important thing for us is to be sure that the gospel advances. We put the gospel first when it comes to our money, don't we? We say thank you for updating us. We put the gospel first when it comes to our time. We put the gospel first when it comes to priorities. Let's put the gospel first. Amen.